Hello and welcome to Energy Policy Cast, where we share recent research in energy policy. I'm your host, Daniel Sneon. Imagine a field with old, small, noisy and speedy wind turbines. And fast forward a few years and you have the same field, but with fewer, larger turbines. Today we discuss the subject of repowering, that is replacing older capacity with new. And you may think that this is a new concept within uh, wind power, but actually it's been going on for a while, since the uh, 1990s approximately. And it's very interesting that we've reached the end of the second generation of wind turbines, roughly speaking, and then to see what happens. Today we have uh, podcast alumni uh, Lena Kitzing from uh, DTU back to present her latest research on repowering. And uh, she's presenting this based on a study that uh, she and her co-authors recently had published in uh, Nature Energy. So welcome back. Well, thanks for having me again. You've earlier been uh, our guest in the podcast discussing the Aorus projects, also dealing with the other aspects of, of wind power. But but today, uh, and for new listeners, perhaps you can just briefly outline who you are and, and where you come from. Yeah, I'll try to keep it a little bit uh, brief this time, <laughs> I think. Um, yeah, I've been working with renewable energies for more than 15 years now, uh, first in, in, in the energy industry. And most that was mostly in relation to investment and financing. And uh, since 10 years around, uh, I'm uh, back in ac- academia. And um, now I'm associate professor in energy economics, and uh, I'm leading a research group uh, that has focus on the societal market and policy issues around wind energy. And that's at the Technical University of Denmark, DTU, in the Department of Wind Energy. Uh, wind energy is the largest research institution for um, wind energy in the world, actually. Right. Thank you for for this uh, brief presentation. I'm I'm sure there is much more in the CV, but but interested listeners can go in and check Lena's LinkedIn profile or the DTU profile. Um, this study that we're discussing today came into being in collaboration with your co-authors, of course, but but also based in a broader uh, IEA-based community uh, discussion. Can you explain about this and and the motivation for the study overall? What is repowering and, and why is that interesting in, in today's world of, of energy? Yeah, maybe uh, starting out with the uh, IEA collaboration. Um, yeah, that's actually where we got the motivation for the paper. Um, I'm working in a one of these expert groups from the International Energy Agency um, uh, on wind energy, uh, the task 26, which is uh, about cost of wind. And... Um, the task or the collaboration had started to look into repowering and I got quite interested in that. Um, I was actually quite surprised when I uh, when I heard the expert talking about the repowering because um, the ana- analysis that they were doing was um, from a rather technical perspective, you can say. So um, they were looking at um, which new turbine had replaced an old turbine um and what difference in capacity or different in difference in uh, production um could be achieved and um from my experience uh, with local project developers in Denmark um i knew that actually this is this is hardly representative for actual project development um here at least so um there is actually there is a large divergence between the number of turbines that are taken down 
and being uh, uh, commissioned um, in a re repowering project. And uh, they're also quite often scattered around across a larger area. Um, but I, that was more of a feeling that I had from um, from seeing projects and from talking to people. So uh, I didn't have any, you know, um, firm numbers. <laughs> so, uh, well, um, that's how uh, science or research starts often. So uh, what we did is we uh, we set out uh, a task, uh, a study to to find out uh, what uh, what is actually behind that. So. Um, uh, yeah, we investigated uh, how repowering projects rather than repowering turbines uh, actually looks like in Denmark. Uh, and we got the greatest support from that uh, IEA collaboration, actually, um, with from, from all the fantastic members there. Uh, you can actually say that this collaboration fostered a kind of a new thinking about repowering. So that was great. It's always inspiring to have interesting people around you and knowledgeable people. I, I enjoy that much at, the, at this university. So so starting out with the conclusion, which was perhaps also your initial research interest, to, in my understanding, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, your initial question was that, that the existing studies uh, focus on repowering was too narrow uh, in applying perhaps an, an on-site or turbine-by-turbine turbine perspective. And this question that, that was your initial gut feeling actually got confirmed by your study. Is, is that correctly understood? Yeah, you can say that. Actually, yes, we found out that uh, only around two thirds of the turbines that are taken down um, are actually on site uh, in a repowering project in Denmark in the period that we investigated. So around a third of the turbines were, um, were dismantled from a completely different um, location sometimes maybe a kilometer away, sometimes even five kilometers away. Yes, and, and I think that's um, maybe just to get back to uh, repowering as such, uh, you can say that um, um, the way we approached it is that so repowering, you can see that as uh, in contrast to a greenfield project, right? In a greenfield project, you have a new empty site, a green field <laughs> where you place a new wind plant. Um, and uh, in contrast to that, you have repowering where you have an existing uh, wind plant, a site where there are already turbines, um, older turbines that are kind of involved in the project. So um, you can have either partial repowering where uh, there's some refurbishment of parts of those existing turbines. Um, for example, you can set up a new nacelle on an existing tower. Um, this is very common in the US. It's not so common in Denmark. So um, here we have mostly full repowering. So we're tearing down the complete old turbine and then build a new one. Mm. Um, the old turbine can be reused uh, some some other place, uh, but we focused here on uh, on Denmark. So uh, some people actually call this replanting, you can say. Yeah. Um, but what was uh, interesting for us is that we, we took a different perspective. We didn't look at uh, the side uh, with uh, uh, the turbine. Um, we, we, looked, uh, we, we took a starting point, the project. So when a project developer starts um, developing the project, what activities, what actions do they need to do in order to get the new uh, project up and running? Mm -hmm. And we found that there is a lot of uh, conditional actions uh, related to dismantling of turbines. 
Um, so sometimes they had to uh, dismantle turbines because of noise regulation, um, um, because noise regulations have been tightened over the years in Denmark. So um, turbines that uh, were legal <laughs> when they were built 10, 20 years ago are not anymore now. And when you then, uh, you know, um, start developing the site, you have to take the new noise regulation into account. Mm. And then there's also something about aesthetics. Um, at, uh, that was uh, the project developers were actually very much aware of that. Um, we have some guidelines around aesthetics uh, in development um, in Denmark. <clears throat> so um, you would probably not take down four turbines of a row and then uh, have the, the, the fifth uh, old uh, turbine stand on by itself anymore. So mm. that, that could also be a reason for kind of reaching uh, further offside. And then there were also um, political uh, reasons um, for uh, for uh, taking down turbines, uh, which were um, which were kind of arising during the um, approval process in the local municipalities. And uh, these turbines, they could have, they could sometimes be quite far away from, from the sites, uh, several kilometers, as I said. And, um, but the, uh, but the, the, the dismantling of those turbines, they could be associated with uh, the approval of the local plan for the, for the new project. So they are part of the repowering project as well. Mm. And and I, I having read your paper and, and the poly, policy brief and the the attached documentation, I can really uh, advise listeners to go in. There is a, a very good and very simple figure, even for a non-wind person like me, uh, explaining what I think, in, or at least outlining the main main parts of what Linus just explained. Uh, so having the different factors play into to the repowering projects uh, and, and illustrating that in a, in a nice way. Yeah, and we we actually um, we made this illustration based on the Minian project of our database. Um, so there you can uh, find that there are um, in the old project there were six uh, small turbines, six hundred kilowatt. That was uh, the median um, from the nineties, um, and then they were being replaced by five. Uh, I think it was three point three megawatt turbines, so much larger turbines. A little fewer, um, yeah. And then uh, I think on average you could say that um, around three of those old turbines would be related to space. So uh, the location, they had to be taken down because the new ones needed the place to be. Um, and another one or two uh, related to noise regulation and then aesthetics and then maybe one more uh, a little bit further out in the proximity uh, related to um, what we call uh, political reasons, yeah. Mm. So you, you're you're taking point of departure in, in the Danish case, and and your specific study demonstrates that that you actually get a substantial amount of increased capacity, as I understand, while keeping the same number of turbines uh, in uh, on the field. So I think it's five hundred and seventy six megawatts uh, increase, whereas uh, the amount of, of turbines is is kept constant. So that's that's uh, quite comprehensive and quite substantial uh, impact of repowering uh, you can you can definitely see why why this this being uh, done in in the danish case and probably also other, elsewhere you find 
by interviews with the stakeholders that that profitability seems not to be the main case for repowering and um, you already touched a bit on, a bit on this but but can you explain uh, why that is that that profitability may not be the main driver and uh, maybe also why existing turbines are so expensive to buy uh, but that's perhaps an entirely different question we can take afterwards <laughs> yeah Yeah, I think um, it's probably related to uh, the fact that uh, Denmark is quite a small country uh, in terms of area. And um, uh, one of the um, uh, representatives from the industry, um, they they actually said that uh, in Denmark, virtually all the good sites have already been taken. Mm. Um, and, and we see that. So if you want to do serious wind project development in Denmark, you have to think about repowering uh, of pure necessity uh, rather than of, uh, you know, exploring uh, interesting business options. And uh, yeah, we, we can also see that in the numbers. So in 2019, uh, the repowering share in in projects uh, actually had reached uh, 86% mm. of all the projects developed or, or of the commission capacity developed in projects. Uh, Uh, was in repowering projects, so um, that's pretty uh, that's pretty substantial. Mm. Um, over the, the whole period that we looked at, it was around a third, a little bit more than a third uh, of the projects. But still, it was quite. Uh, I mean, uh, the um, the repowering share was uh, continuously increasing. I don't I don't see uh, many more projects being developed greenfield uh, in Denmark. Uh, it's actually quite difficult to find sites where there was uh, no requirement to dismantle any turbines um, may not be the case right now uh, in many countries or not in all countries um, I mean also uh, characteristics are quite important so in the US where there's a lot of space uh, we don't have that same necessity maybe mm. um, but we see an increasing you know repowering activity in many other countries and uh, we'll see that uh, more and more you know I think that um, Uh, yeah, Denmark has uh, a very high share of uh, wind energy uh, in the system, and we do have a lot of turbines. And um, we have also the oldest uh, fleet, uh, wind turbine fleet in the world. So uh, what happens right now here is maybe not exactly happening in other countries, but uh, it will um, it will come. Well, one one aspect uh, that you you find that that uh, just to to get back to the uh, the expensiveness of turbines because. Mm. Perhaps uh, I'm getting a bit long-winded here, but but the uh, the equivalent case I've seen is data centers in in Denmark, at least, and probably elsewhere, which uh, for for the the pure land procurement for these data centers is a very anonymous and covered process because Google don't want to announce that they're Google or Microsoft don't want to announce that announce that they're Microsoft because probably they can expect that that the sellers will will uh, add a premium to the price of of, of that land. Uh, and and is your experience that uh, to some degree that the same thing is happening that uh, sellers of of the existing fields are well aware of of the value for for potential buyers of this land and then then they can add a, a slightly a slight extra premium to to that price. Mm, yes, well, we have definitely we we've definitely seen some indications for that there is uh, a market uh, in Denmark. And um, as you know, uh, in markets, it's always a matter between uh, demand and supply. Yeah, so we have we have seen that there are uh, prices forming for also um, older parks 
um, and and also single turbines uh, around that are probably uh, or likely to to be become part of uh, repowering projects um, that are higher in price than than what you would uh, see in 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 other areas mm. where there maybe is not as high as a demand. Then another uh, aspect, and perhaps just a, a quick primer to the listeners, typically uh, turbines receive uh, some sort of subsidy for 20 years. At least it's been like this in, in Denmark. But what, what you find, uh, which is very interesting, is that the average age of the dismantled turbines in, in your study is less than 20 years Meaning that that the uh, the turbine owners actually forego income from those turbines in order to to dismantle them for for other purposes. Can can you explain? I, I'm I'm aware that that's part of the business case, but perhaps you can elaborate a bit on 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 this uh, part of of the study. Yeah, I also was a little bit surprised about that. I have to say so because uh, also. Um You know, 15 years ago, the feed-in tariffs were quite uh, quite nice uh, as compared to the competitive situation that we have right now um, uh, under the auction scheme uh, with very low support levels. Um, but when you think about it, yes, yeah, so we, we found that the average age of dismantled turbines in repowering projects was 18.6 years mm. which was almost six years lower than those disma- dismantled in non-repowering settings mm. so uh, where there was just um, old, an old turbine that was taken down um, so 18.6 uh, years that would mean on average you would forego some uh, some support payments Um, but when we again look at this median project um, uh, in Denmark, so uh, there are six six hundred kilowatt uh, turbines uh, uh, taken down, um, and you would pu- put up uh, five three point three turbines, new ones, right? So that would mean that uh, you probably get around six times the production out of that area. Mm. Um, and then plus the old turbines probably have uh, much higher maintenance cost. Um, so uh, the price that has to be achieved by the new turbines um, to get to the same amount of revenue in the business case is much lower. Mm. Uh, so then you have to compare those. So um, that that oftentimes it, it, it makes a lot of sense to you know uh, start um, dismantling earlier. Sure. Uh, what we've also um, heard in in the interviews is that you don't always have complete control over the process so at some point you start uh, you know uh, applying for the permits and then uh, and then you will get a window of when you can yeah. um, when you can actually uh, uh, undertake the project and sometimes that doesn't quite fit exactly to uh, what your plans are and then the project developers are also a bit flexible in that So I, I think you you made the case that that the existing methodology is perhaps not useful in in just having this site specific perspective. Um, you look at in 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 your study you look at Denmark. Uh, you call it the data heaven of <laughs> of, uh, of uh, I guess energy and wind data, uh, and it makes sense. Uh, it is it seems because in Denmark there is uh, generally the oldest fleet of wind turbines and and it has a quite large uh, i think you note 74% market share of wind 
2019. And it's a small country with, with limited space, as you also noted earlier. So uh, this this study, um, how applicable is uh, perhaps first, firstly the methodology that, that you'd applied, but also re the results to, to other countries um, you 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 mentioned U.S. and and so on, but perhaps you can uh, just generally uh, reflect a bit on on the applicability abroad. Yeah, maybe first a couple of words on the uh, on the data side. So um, yeah, um, in Denmark we have information about all turbines um, and even their their production, their their age, their specifications. Um, we know when they have been commissioned and decommissioned and so on. So um, we have a really really good starting point. I was quite uh, surprised actually that there was no reliable database on projects and uh, let alone um, projects um, where turbines are reliable connected uh, especially decommissioned turbines. So we did spend a lot of time on uh, data um, mining uh, from from local uh, local plans and improvements, environmental in impact assessments. Uh, we did um, we we looked at Google Maps, you know, <laughs> to to match the turbines with the projects, um, and then with the project developers, uh, so that we can talk to them. Um, but yes, you're right. It's uh, it's in that sense also a little bit lucky because uh, that total totaled around uh, 100 projects, a little bit more than that. So it was manageable. Mm -hmm. And then we also uh, managed to to actually cover more than 90% of those uh, with uh, with interviews uh, of the relevant uh, repowering projects. Mm -hmm. Uh, because there weren't that many uh, people to call, <laughs> maybe. So that, that so that that meant that we had had a really representative uh, sample. Uh, and by the way, we also um, published the data set uh, together with the article. So there is an Excel sheet uh, com connected to it, uh, which could be quite interesting to some. Mm. Um, Yes, and then certainly the specific numbers that we got out uh, in terms of applica applicability. Um, well, I don't think that we can directly translate that. So what we found out, for example, is that uh, due to this additional dismantling of the one third of turbines that are not directly on site, um, uh, we found that the repowering, the net capacity factor in repowering, so the increase of uh, capacity that can be achieved by repowering was only, um, what was it, 4.72 <laughs> instead of, uh, you know, 7.05, that uh, what we maybe previously would have thought. Uh, the repowering factor could be. Um, uh, definitely, we cannot exactly use those numbers in other countries, uh, but I think uh, the the major insights that we gained in our analysis is certainly uh, very much applicable um, in in other countries because I think actually it's much more general than only you know um, those numbers. Um, I think uh, so. What we really found is, uh, or what we could you know. Um, uncover with this uh, quantitative analysis and the interviews was that uh, wind energy repowering is actually much more of a of a negotiated process mm. uh, between the project developer and the host community and it's uh, obviously involves the increase of clean energy production but also involves creations of uh, you know it creates opportunities to reduce community impacts and it looks like that's what the projects are being used for uh, as well. And um, 
So uh, that means uh, noise regulation, aesthetics, uh, political preferences, different, um, you know, um, impacts on different uh, members of the local community that are, they are all important drivers in repowering. And um, which then leads to more and earlier dismantling of some of the turbines. So um, our number understanding has to be updated. But also, I think that's something that we can use uh, in future, you know, policymaking, for example, if we acknowledge that this process is so um, multifaceted, mm. <laughs> as we as we called our paper, um, that it, it, it's also an opportunity for us to, to use that better understanding to um, maybe draft some um, some more targeted policies that we can actually exploit this um, window of opportunity better. Perhaps as a comment to this, uh, we've seen, uh, for instance, in this podcast with the, the earlier episode on the Tentrans project with Holly Vlokas, where we discussed social acceptance. And in, in the uh, hot debate in the US, especially on, on social justice and, and energy uh, that uh, followers of, of US energy policy will, will have noticed probably. Uh, and also in, in research in general, at least I see a, a high increase in, in uh, going from perhaps the, the purely economist or engineering perspectives on, on deployment of energy infrastructure, much more to the integration of, of society and, and civil society. Uh, and those, uh, you could call it softer processes that have until now been ignored. But I think having these uh, quite uh, concrete numbers, especially you mentioned going from a re repowering uh, a factor of approximately seven, if you focus on the site only, to uh, the the 4.7-ish, I think it was, uh, if you include all the other as aspects that, that, that you do, that's a very tangible and, and concrete uh, measure of, or uh, proof of, of uh, this uh, social bargaining and, and all the aspects that you include, which is not just uh, the, the power system modeling uh, and the optimizations that we usually apply. So um, perhaps you can... Uh, you can uh, uh, comment uh, whether you agree or not on, on on this perspective that that we see an increase in in actually involving society in in energy studies. Is that too far fetched, or do you agree on this? I agree. <laughs> yes, <laughs> right. um, yes. I, I think it's a it's a, it's an important topic that needs more uh, attention in the future. Uh, we're um, I think it's also getting more attention. Mm -hmm. So we are entering a phase of the uh, energy transition that, where uh, we, we need to get broader out. Uh, there will be more impacts um, to society, but also um, we will need to involve society more. Um, so it's not only about the impacts, but it's also about you know the benefits and how to to make it uh, make it work better for everyone. So I, it definitely there needs to be a better um, a better integration and more more uh, focus on that. Um, yes, and I, I maybe also I can I uh, so as an economist, <laughs> um, my starting point was obviously in some way that saying okay, well why are all these turbines being taken down? You know. Um, wouldn't that be uh, a waste of potential, for example? And uh, so uh, when we when we when we did this analysis, um, that was maybe a little bit my starting point um, to to understand what is going on. And I think um, 
I've moved on <laughs> quite a bit uh, during that understanding. And um, you know what? Maybe some of those older turbines, maybe they shouldn't be there in the first place now. So uh, maybe those repowering projects are a window of opportunity to actually rethink uh, what uh, impact is being uh, uh, currently on, on the local uh, communities and maybe adjust uh, some of that. And uh, um, we, we've tried to um, estimate also in the paper um, a value of lost production. Uh, and uh, uh, when comparing that to the costs uh, that are related to the turbines, it's actually not that, uh, it's not that, you know, big of an economic issue. So um, we the value that these older turbines are are creating they need to be set in perspective to uh to the impacts that are um that that are um that are being there and and we can there is proof for it now i mean they they are being there otherwise they wouldn't enter these uh, discussions uh, on on the local uh, uh political uh level hmm. and um uh, I think that's a really interesting kind of insight uh, uh, for me. I'm sure that many people are out there have had already have had that insight for a long time already. But uh, um, yeah, so I, I think that's um, that that kind of a balancing um, um, is uh, is very important. It will become more important in the future. And I guess if you want to to step in the shoes of of the traditional economist, I guess they would argue that. Now uh, the, the prices and, and the costs and preferences are just now being factored into those prices the, that we didn't see earlier. So that's maybe what you see in in the increased cost of, of re repowering, uh, procuring land for repowering and, and so on and so forth. Uh, we, we discussed the, the geographical dimension, whether the results were applicable in, in other geographies uh, than Denmark. but and and now we we're getting a bit creative but i was wondering whether on the technological dimension uh, some of these results would be relevant one example to to put it in a context is just uh, as late as today i heard about an old coal site in the us that was being reclaimed for a data center a uh, google data center i think it was Uh, so um, can you imagine that these results will have uh, broader implications for other kinds of energy infrastructure, for instance, that that may not necessarily be wind, but could be carbon capture or power to X facilities or other kinds of, of ener energy infrastructure that that uh, that your findings may play into uh, in how they can be deployed and, and what factors play into to their uh, coming into being? <laughs> well, I think that's a that's a very difficult question. <laughs> um, well, we haven't uh, uh, studied that in the particular paper that we're talking about. But uh, um, well, I think um, overall um, to take into account um, the social factors and the environmental factors in the planning um, uh, is always a good idea, mm. um, and uh, we need to get better. Uh, in doing that, that's definitely, and that's not uh, only related to wind energy or certain renewable technology. I think that's uh, that's mm -hmm. a more general um, issue. And who knows? Maybe you know uh, when the, with the new technologies coming up, uh, power to X and uh, um, uh, uh, likes like like that. Um, yeah, maybe we can uh, you know uh, think um, think those factors uh, in uh, mm. from from. from from an earlier uh, start. So that, that could be quite uh, quite fascinating. Uh. 
Thank, thanks for going uh, along this path of, of uh, <laughs> quite quite uh, long-winded question. Then uh, I'm, I'm interested in, in where you see uncharted territory in, in this regard of, of, of your study. Where, where are the dark spots on the map? Well, I guess there are many. <laughs> um, for once, we only talk to the developers and not to the policymakers or any other member of the local community. So basically what we tried to find out was only to see uh, why they have, uh, from their perspective, uh, why they have, you know, uh, dismantled turbines. Um, but there is obviously much more to that. <laughs> so why did they enter the discussions in the first place so that we didn't explore that at mm. all? And I think that's uh, that could be interesting. And then also another thing is that we didn't um, we didn't look into any um, concrete policy actions afterwards. So we, 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 we feel that uh, some of our results have quite... Uh, big policy relevance because uh, we we know that repowering is going to become a larger issue in the future and we will have to handle that uh, also in terms of uh, supporting um, um, the technology and we obviously we would we we assume that policymakers want to exploit you know uh, the opportunities that uh, repowering brings and i just uh, mentioned this kind of window of opportunity that uh, that there is to rethink uh, uh, you know uh, the interaction of the technology with the local communities. Mm. So, um, so I think, uh, yeah, looking more into this kind of how precisely this uh, policy focus or activity in on the policy domain could look like uh, on a national level or on the local level, um, that would be interesting. Um, especially also because um, um, I think uh, um, what uh, what would be good is to, to to think about maybe a bit more structured process uh, so that these uh, these decisions can be made transparent in a transparent and fair way also across um, you know uh, municipal borders and uh, so so that uh, that we have a bit more um, I don't know if you can say the word standardized, but a, a more um, more equal approaches uh, around, and I, I think that could be uh, could be an interesting um, line of study. So thank you, Lena. Uh, moving into uh, the peer review section, this is where uh, our guest will recommend uh, and literally anything that they may find it interesting for themselves or the listeners or for me. So I'm, I'm curious to hear if, if you brought anything for us today to uh, to, to share with, with us. Yes, I have. <laughs> and uh, I have actually chosen to um, recommend a book on um, on self-development. All right. <laughs> and um, I know that uh, it might be a bit, I don't know, uh, controversial, but uh, I know that many people are a bit skeptical about, you know, self-development books. So um, but I think this is uh, this one here is quite worthwhile having right. a look at. And it, although it's quite old, um, it's called uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. All right. Uh, by, uh, I just Covert. got that one, actually. <laughs> yes, because I... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I used it <laughs> quite recently <laughs> in, uh, in some team building activity. And, exactly. Uh, you, um, um, yeah, so the book actually was, uh, Time Magazine has called it the one of the most influential books of the 20th century. And um, I think it's really great to get, um, you know, you know, focused, right? Help you focused on what it's important, what is important in your work life and, and getting things done. So it... Uh, it helped me quite a lot, and uh, I think it's um, so. Uh, 
after I've used it in our team building, <laughs> um, actually, um, one of the professors in our team, believe it or not, he actually uh, read the whole book <laughs> after the session. And uh, I think he made this most pointed um, summary uh, afterwards to me. So uh, he told me, you know, this, this book really is only about two things. It's about doing some planning <laughs> and then treating people decently. <laughs> so, I, um, well, Jan, you know, um, maybe that's all it takes. Right. So <laughs> well, I, I just need the planning part, then, then I'll manage. I think uh, I'm able to treat people decently, but the other part maybe I'm uh, missing out on a bit. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll read that part of the book. Right. Thank you, Lena. As listeners may know, Lena has and DTU has the pleasure of, of uh, Lena leading a new group on uh, wind energy research and society. And I just want to wish you the best uh, of luck with that work and your new endeavors. It's been a pleasure to work with you and it's been a pleasure to have you here in the, the podcast to explain about your very interesting research. So thanks a lot, Lena. Well, thank you, Daniel. It's, uh, it's always a pleasure with you. As always, you can find links to the resources mentioned in the podcast in the notes to this episode. I'm very happy to hear your comments, so get in touch with me, Daniel Sneel. My details are also in the notes. If you rate us in whatever platform you're using, you may also help the research reach new ears. Sound design is by Dear Caesar, and the podcast is hosted by Technical University of Denmark's Sustainability Division. We publish whenever there is new research and when we can make schedules meet. So consider Energy Policycast more as a surprise gift in your podcast feed than a regular broadcast. Thank you for listening. <laughs>